Welcome to the MBA Jam Podcast with your host, Avinash Bajaj. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of the MBA Jam. This is Avinash over here. As mentioned very briefly towards the end of the previous episode, this is part two of our conversation with Richard Sharp, the CTO of Sazam. This is the introduction of Richard once again. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you. He's currently the CTO of Sazam. His past experience has largely been in engineering and product management companies such as Google, Intel, Citrix, AT&T, and Yieldify. Richard has done his MBA from Cambridge University, before which he has also done his PhD in computer science from Cambridge. So now, you know, where you are at this moment, looking back, if you had to reevaluate your trajectory or your path, are there any changes you would tell to a younger version of yourself? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think, like, on, honestly, what matters to I don't spend much time, like, really thinking, how could I maximize, you know, my position in some sense? Like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> I, I don't have a grand plan for world domination, I guess. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of what I'm saying. And I think as I've got older, I've realized that more and more like what matters to me most is that i'm engaged on interesting projects that are challenging exciting that i'm working with people who i love working with who are great who challenge me who keep it interesting keep it fresh that i can have impact on the world through through what i do and i can build stuff that i'm really proud of and passionate about um and anytime i veered away from those things in order to pursue something else which i thought maybe had value status money higher salary or whatever on the few times when I have made those decisions, it hasn't led to happiness, honestly. Um, and I, I think trying to come back to those sets of things, and I, I guess in some set, in, in some senses, I feel you know quite privileged, of course, to be able to find the intersection of lots of these things at once. Right? It's not like I'm having to make a difficult choice between um, you know having a comfortable lifestyle and also finding projects that are engaging and interesting. Right? So I, I guess we're all quite privileged. And, in that in that respect, coming from the backgrounds that we come from, um, so but I, I think if you yeah, it, it's I think it's a bad trade off <laughs> to yeah. look for some kind of career enhancement that is value in itself. If if you feel like you're compromising on those other things, uh, I think maybe I would have been clear about that. It would have been helpful for a younger me to have been clear about that in the twenties. It might have just resolved a few bits of internal conflict and cognitive dissonance <laughs> I may have had back then, um, but nothing major. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm pretty happy, really. I think I've been consistently pretty happy. That's good. That that's great, actually. You know, to be honest, because sometimes I go through these turmoils of you know disturbances, saying, "Where am I going? Where's my life going? You know, should I have done some things a lot earlier than I did, um, when I did them?" But on the on the other hand, uh, I'm like, maybe I am where I am because of the decisions that I have taken along the way. So, yeah, it's 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 a good debate to sometimes go through. <laughs> yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think I feel even more less inclined to worry about a plan for world domination now uh, <laughs> than I did before. Absolutely. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, there's one question I've been wanting to ask you for a very long time. How do you manage to juggle through so many things? 
because you're the CTO of Sazam at the moment, you're director of studies in, in, in a college, you're, um, you're a member of many different, you know, foundations and many different, um, you know, uh, institutions in a sense, and you play music. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, how, how do you manage to, you must be having a really solid prioritization structure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do. I, I mean, my, my life is kind of run by calendar, I guess, to some extent. <laughs> um, it's, it's, not, it's not as bad as you'd think, though. Like, it is possible to manage these things. I think if you think very carefully about doing what matters, um, like what's the most important thing you can do at any given time, and I, I think, and then focusing on those things, it is, it is possible to move the needle on lots of, <laughs> lots of things at once. Also, like some of these things can't be, some of these jobs can't be rescheduled or they're not very flexible with scheduling. Like the CTO of Shazam, you know, there's just meetings you've got to make at certain times and certain deadlines and they're just fixed and you've got to fit within that. Um, within, say, a small group teaching in Cambridge, you know, it's, well, it's relatively flexible. You can move things around. It doesn't cause a crisis if you have to move a supervision with two people in it from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. because you need to fit in a call at 5 p.m. and it's in the college and the students are in the college mm -hmm. anyway. It doesn't cause major turmoil. It doesn't um, make make anyone's lives substantially worse. So you can sort of reschedule those things sort of around that. Um, I think the other thing is that there are some, I've noticed that, you know, the, the amount of work you need to do at any given time is not a constant. Like sometimes you need to work insanely hard. Like when we've been working recently on this Beaches and project to launch this second screen experience, um, with you know Fox and uh, the production company that are making this TV show in, in the US, I've been working insane hours, like in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. working like like West Coast afternoon meetings from from the UK, crazy hard. But other times, there's just not as many things to do, and I think sometimes people just feel they should work a constant amount of hours in the day, and end up sort of um, filling time in in some respects if they've got nothing better to do. And I think you just have to acknowledge that these these like work is very very bursty around all of these things, um, and it's, it's it's fine when one when one of the bursts is down to sort of backfill it with with something from some from from one of the others. I mean, as as long as you're meeting your objectives and moving everything forward, um, it's it's kind of fine. It's, it's kind of fine to do that. I guess the only problem is when they burst together, which occasionally happens. Yeah. Um, I have had to uh, organize supervisions and tutor meetings at Cambridge at weekends from time to time. If it's just impossible to sort of fit them in on a Friday afternoon or Friday evening, you know, once once a term, uh, because I've just had things I can't possibly move, um, and I've had to like push into weekends, and then of course that requires negotiation with family, which is not always great. Uh, but but in the main, you can make these things fit together while actually doing a lot of work on a lot of things. Um, yeah, kind of works. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a really good point. Um, going back to your tutor, uh, director of studies, why why are you doing it? What's your motivation to actually continue to go back and teach the students? I I love it. Uh, I I love staying on top of what's going on with computer science. I love keeping the part of my brain active, which requires you to think about you know difficult computer science problems, discrete math problems, and so on. It's a very different part of my brain than I actually use in my day job now. Um, mm. But, but I, I really enjoy, um, you know, thinking about those types of questions and you know getting involved in that that type of detailed thinking and the satisfaction that comes from you know proving some property that you're asked to prove or, or coming up with some clever algorithm and you know coding it. Um, I, so I really enjoy the aspect just selfishly of sort of enjoying being engaged. <laughs> I I also do get a lot of satisfaction out of trying to 
um, help other people learn um, concepts and you know help help them um, get better at, at an area that I think is super important um, around you know com- computing. So I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Um, one of the things I find interesting is that the being you know having that mix where you're sort of in, in industry some of the time and then you're in you, you're hanging out in a, in a college and in, engaging with researchers and students some of the time um for me i find it it's, it's a great way to actually feel less stressed about life it's, it's an interesting place where you interesting thing where you're doing more things but it actually reduces stress quite a lot because the things that are super important to one group of, one group of people don't really matter to the other group and that's a constant reminder that maybe you're getting focused on the wrong things and actually that you're perhaps getting overly stressed on something that in the big grand scheme of things doesn't really matter that much. Like if you hang out with people in industry and then you go and hang out with it with a bunch of researchers in, in the SCR and at Cambridge College, just got completely divergent um, sets of things that, that, that they think matter. And I think by oscillating between those two things mm. is, is a really good way to get perspective on stuff. So I actually find that by doing more work in some senses, I guess, and by being engaged on both sides of this fence, it actually makes my life better. I get to engage with more interesting people, do a whole variety of things that I think are very fulfilling personally, I think are very worthwhile doing. And at the same time, actually, I feel like get less stressed as a result. I think I'd be more stressed if I was doing just one or the other. You get locked into this kind of bubble of um, you know, what you think matters more than anything else to the point where you can't step out of it. And I think that's where you lose perspective. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think you're right. It's a very, very fair point. There's one question which I think you might be in a really good position to answer. So, you know, often I bring up this point that the MBA curriculum, uh, at least my personal opinion and a few others I've spoken to, is, is you know, very traditional. It's very old um, in a sense because in MBA schools, you're still studying about you know, case studies which are 40 years old or 30 years old, you're not really, you know, looking at the current market, like looking at Airbnbs and Ubers and, you know, studying on, you know, concepts around the more modern infrastructure. But when you look at computer science, I I guess a lot of the studies are still very relevant to what's happening in the current market while the MBA curriculum is almost non-relevant in certain aspects. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think the computer science curriculum, what you um, see on a daily basis, um, is that more relevant? And what are your thoughts compared to the MBA curriculum and any any views or any insights on that? Yeah, I think it's kind of similar. I mean, if, if you take computer science, there's, there's a lot of foundational principles that you know were developed back in the 1930s and 1940s, um, which is still highly relevant. I mean, a lot of the principles, like the stored program computer and thinking about computable functions and so on, um, were you know developed you know, nearly a hundred years ago, but are still still highly relevant today. Um, whereas other things, sort of less so, I, I guess. For, for other things, it sort of matters more what 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 the current trends are and where we are with you know the migration to cloud and what modern cloud architectures look like and so on so i think i think it's similar to an mba i think i think you can get a good foundation from learning these principles and these things that have stood the test of time and are really foundational elements and then it's a matter of then applying your practical experience on on top of it i mean one of the things i guess i just to be very clear i mean i, I did the exec mba not a full-time mba program and i think that's a very big distinction i think it's a very different type of program i mean, I mean talking about talking to that from limited experience because of course I only did the exec MBA I didn't do the full-time MBA but one of the things about the exec MBA is that you've typically got people on the course 
who are both currently engaged in work and have probably a little bit further on in their careers because they're doing it when they're maybe 10 years, that's true, 20 that's years true. experience. Um, so one of the things that I really enjoyed that made the MBA program feel very current to me was that you were constantly getting the input of these people from these in these different companies and different job functions who are telling you what they're actually doing now, like yesterday, and how they're thinking about it, right? So you can get like right up to the minute, very practical advice from all the people that are on this course, which is a great complement to the kind of the foundational aspects that maybe you're learning through the more academic material. And I thought that, that the, the Cambridge course did a great job of synthesizing both of those two things together. So it didn't feel like I was having to learn stuff that was pointless or stale or archaic in, in, in any sense, really. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really interesting point because uh, I did a full-time MBA, so we have different experiences to share. Uh, and, and from my point of view, you know, although a lot of us came from the work experience, but, you know, essentially that one year you're locked in, right? You say pretty much in vacuum for that one year. And that's where I strongly believe there should be a lot more industrial industry uh, experiences that should be bought into the classroom that are not necessarily bought in. I guess the executive MBA gives you the natural flexibility of going out and applying the concepts into the workplace but a full-time MBA doesn't naturally give you that opportunity you have to almost steal those opportunities. <laughs> yeah no, that makes sense yeah and you've got people who are not, not, not just can you go and apply the skills like the next week uh, or try things out differently based on the conversations you've had with the you know your peers on the, on the course the next week but you've also got people who are bringing in um, into the discussions I mean we, we had a lot of a lot of discussions I mean like n not in a not in a rude way but you know sometimes people would say some stuff in in the course maybe it would be a, a slide would go up and someone would say that's, that's complete crap that's <laughs> and then we'd have a good discussion about it and it, it, it like it, it, it wasn't a negative thing it was you know, people people would just bring their opinions in, and there'd be a be a good discussion about it. And you know, the lecturers weren't saying, "Well, this is definitely the way it is." That this like on this slide, they'd be saying, "Well, actually, this is how this academic community thinks about this." And someone else would be saying, "Well, that's interesting because I actually work in that area, and here's how we actually do it." And you know, in in some cases there was a mismatch. In 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 other cases, you could sort of see that it was two ways of looking at the same thing. But it, it was always a productive discussion from from like both sides, and the. You know, the, the academics and lecturers who were teaching the course were sort of bringing their their knowledge of the literature and, you know, their experience and the way that they were thinking about this and the way that the academic community thinks about this. And then you've got people on the other side who are actually the practitioners involved in this on a day-to-day -day basis bringing, well, this is what happens when the rubber hits the road and this is what we're actually doing. Sometimes those views lined up and sometimes they didn't. But, I mean, there was always mutual respect between, you know, the, the lecturers and, and the people who are on the course. But it led to some very interesting, very productive discussions. Um, I think that's one of the benefits of the of, of an exec MBA because you just get you have to synthesize those two things. You can't look at them in isolation because people won't let you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, very true. Now, on on the flip side, you know, the experience that a full time MBA generally bring out is you know the the class and the network and how much time they have to you know socialize around the classes. But in exec MBA, I guess because everyone's almost running around juggling work and possibly family and possibly education do you actually get a lot of time to spend with your classmates and is that a factor that's ever been into consideration um so i guess you don't get loads i'm sure you probably get more time on a full-time mba program um you do get some though so i mean we every time we had a weekend every, every month we you know we sort of had a dinner where you got to spend a lot of time with people and you know you made sure that you you know, you, you sat with and 
had dinner with lots of different people over the course of the entire course because you had you know like 20, 20 dinners <laughs> in essence over 20 <laughs> months. Um, uh, so, 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 so that was good. And there were a lot of group activities as well. So you, you would you'd still be given group activities. You just have to fit it in amongst your schedule. So there were lots of video calls and Skypes and Hangouts going on uh, in, the, in the evening. So there were lots of assignments that did force that type of connection. Um, plus, you, you know, you'd sort of build relationships with people and you just meet up anyway during the course. There were a number of people in, based in London or based in the UK or some people who are based in the US or Russia or whatever would be flying in for a business meeting anyway and they'd drop, drop you a line and you'd you know, go, go to a pub and hang out and, you know, meet, meet that way as well. So I, I didn't feel that, that there was no chance to interact. I didn't feel particularly starved of interaction while I was doing the course. But I'm sure that said that if you're on a full-time MBA course, you probably do have more time to spend with people to build deeper relationships, right? Because you're all in it full-time, all students at the same time. So I'm I'm, I'm sure you do get more interaction uh, on on the full-time course. But I, I I didn't feel a massive lack of it. Yeah, on the yeah. MBA course either. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, fair enough. Are you are you in touch with any of the classmates? Are people generally in touch with each other now after many years? Or absolutely, they are. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and, and not just in our year either, but you know, a network across different different years. In fact, I had breakfast with someone this morning that's launching a new app mm. business, who was in the year above me, I guess, on the Cambridge Exec MBA. But we we got introduced through some contacts as as a result of that shared experience, and you know, like we've we've stayed in touch. I was like chatting to him and. Um, you know, yeah, lots of people who are now start starting up companies or doing other things will occasionally, you know, email each other. Hey, I'd like your advice on this. Maybe you could help me with this, right? We do do some deals on the back of that if it's appropriate, or you know, give each other advice. And yeah, that that goes on quite a lot. I mean, I'm super busy, but I'd say I definitely meet up with people on the MBA in one capacity or another, probably once every month or so, just just for random chats or random bits of advice or to help each other out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, completely agreed. Talking about starting um, companies, have you ever considered starting your own company? I guess I guess <laughs> I've considered it. Again, it's not, I, I guess when I was in my early 20s, maybe that was my life goal, but then it gradually decided <laughs> maybe that wasn't what I really, really wanted to do. Um, so I have I have considered it, yes. I, I haven't ruled out not doing it. If there's, I can't count the number of negatives in that sentence anymore. <laughs> I haven't precluded it from my possible futures, um, but it's not a must-do thing for me. It's not like I have to do this to as something I must do in my life to say I've done it or prove my worth to myself or anything like that. Like there's there's a lot of things I'd be quite happy with with my life if I was able to work with smart people on engaging projects and have an impact and feel like I was doing good stuff. Um, even if that meant that I, I was never the CEO myself or never started it from scratch. Those two things are less important to me, actually, and are probably becoming increasingly less important as time goes. <laughs> I don't know if I ever will start my own company or not, but I'm sure it would be a really fun experience to, to do that, and maybe at some point in the future I'll uh, feel called to do that or the opportunity will be presented. Yeah, absolutely. No, because my next question was going to be, what's next for you? Because obviously you're in Sazam right now, and I guess there are a lot of interesting um, opportunities still at at Sazam. But do you have kind of goals for the next, like short term or mediumish term or long term? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, in in the short and medium term, I, I really want to stay in Shazam, actually, and run a whole bunch of interesting projects. Uh, both in both internally, there's like a lot of stuff that we can do here, 
to um, you know build on the, the great engineering team that we've already got here, but you know take it to the next level. And at the same time, there's so many fascinating projects um, as Shazam and a Hulk as a whole can do. Right, you know we've got 300 million active users um, and a whole bunch of really interesting. Um, part, partnerships with some of the most interesting technology companies in the industry as well. Um, so there's so many things we can do both within music and exploring opportunities beyond music um, in Shazam that is just an infinite source of, in, of, of interesting projects that are also ones that I'm passionate about because of this sort of underlying music connection, but also the, the way we can have impact through our existing huge uh, install base. So in the in the short to medium term, I'm very excited to be sort of staying here and Mm-hmm. continuing to um, have impact and do really interesting work um, beyond that at the moment I don't really have any longer any longer term objectives I'll be very honest with you um, in fact this was a question I got asked in my MBA interview <laughs> do you have a grand plan and I said no not not really uh, and just give the same answer I, I guess I'm quite tactical and opportunistic I guess about the type of type of jobs that I take um, I guess I've got sort of a directional vector of things that I'm interested in and sort of want to do. And I do enjoy challenging myself and get bored, I guess, if I'm not challenged. So I guess that sort of drives me forward. But beyond that, not really. Cool, cool. No, no, I, I guess I guess it's a fair point because as long as there are interesting experiences, interesting opportunities, um, you know, that, that itself, I, I guess it keeps the curiosity going. And as, as long as there's something to do and that, that thing is interesting, then, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agreed. I mean, there are, I suppose there are goals in, in some sense. that They aren't career goals, but I've got other goals around things that I want to keep doing, such as, um, I really like having a balance between industry and but still some contact with research. I think that's great. Mm. You, get, you get to keep in touch with a whole bunch of people that are really pushing boundaries in different ways on, on both sides of that fence, which I, think is, which I think is great. Another thing that I've learned is important to me because I didn't do it for a while and I got less happy as a result and then started doing it again is for a while in industry, I got so busy. I was sort of thinking, oh, I'm just going to get, I'm just sort of gradually going to fall, fall behind the curve. And you know, the whole machine learning thing just really took off. And I felt like, oh, I'm just not, I'm just not keeping up with what's going on and the trends in technology and what matters anymore. I'm, just, I'm so busy just doing a whole bunch of stuff that I haven't got time to follow some of these new areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I suddenly thought, why, why do I not have time to follow these? New, if, this, if this matters to me, why don't I just pick up some papers and start reading them just like I would have done when I was in research? I'll just read them in the in an evening or read them when I'm on a train and see what happens. If I don't understand something, I'll follow the citations and I'll, I'll read those. And if I don't understand those, I'll ask someone um, or read a textbook. And again, I found now that I can make time for those types of things. So, you know, over Christmas, last Christmas, I said, I'm going to go and do a bit of a literature survey around some of the, some of the modern machine learning stuff. And I just started with the, uh, you know, the, the DeepMind paper on the Atari 2800 computer games and sort of read from there. Uh, it wasn't a field I was massively knowledgeable about, but I was able to follow the citations and sort of see how these different different pieces of work had sort of come about, how they related to each other, how they fitted together, and sort of broadly speaking, how they worked and how, you know, you could apply a concept like stochastic gradient descent in a million different ways to create a million different, um, really quite impressive behaviors. Uh, and, you know, I felt great about doing that. I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't, of course, I don't have time like you would if you're a PhD student to go into the uber detail and sort of build your own models and really get that level of depth of understanding. But you can absolutely read these papers, understand them, follow the citations, see how the work fits together, and then be able to feel like, yeah, I really do understand what's going on here with this trend, um, at least at a, 
at, at least at a high level, but enough to understand, broadly speaking, what's going on with the maths and the modeling and the, and, and the computation, even if I don't have the knowledge to actually you know, build those things myself. And those types of things actually make me, do, doing that makes me really, really happy compared to not doing it, right? So again, I've goals around making sure that I keep doing those types of things, I think are really, really important. And having the balance to be able to do those types of things are really, really important. As I say, when I, when I stopped doing that for a while, I just sort of got out of the habit of doing it. I did actually notice I was feeling quite a lot less happy as a result because I felt like these trends were sort of slipping away from me and I wasn't really involved and couldn't take part in those conversations anymore. Um, but actually that turned out to be completely false. It turned out that just <laughs> just a small amount of focus and reading actually made me feel quite different about the situation um, and really made a difference. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. So, so it sounds like you made like a conscious effort to have a balance between, it is a fine balance, right? Because on one end, you are the executive level of, of a company. So obviously, you know, people are looking up to you for the knowledge and the experience that you bring in. On the other hand, you're actually, you know, not letting go of the research mind where you almost have to flush out <laughs> some of the uh, existing knowledge you have in order to make space for some <laughs> new knowledge, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure that's how the brain works. Maybe, maybe it is. <laughs> I think that like, the more you put in, the more connections you can form between these things and it's a synergistic thing rather than a, a zero-sum game for space. <laughs> exactly, I, because because that's, that's what I've seen, right? Because uh, as, as I gain experience in a particular field, sometimes, um, you know, at, at some point, I'll be like, hang on, now... But uh, it, it doesn't feel very fulfilling after a certain point of time. You feel like you're not adding a lot more delta to your learning and knowledge uh, as opposed to going to a completely new field and feeling the curiosity of wanting to learn something from scratch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I get, like personally, I get a lot of satisfaction about out of learning and understanding things. Um, and that's something that I think is really important that I keep doing things like that in my own time. If if I'm in a situation where work isn't providing that opportunity, as it happens at the moment, I'm learning loads and loads of new things by you know, having started a role fairly fairly recently and working on a load of really interesting projects without really knowing what's going on because I'm still <laughs> learning the architecture and the people and the team and the industry and everything else, right? So I'm getting a lot of that. But if I ever get in a position where maybe I've gone up that steep part of the learning curve and there's a lot of a lot of important work to do, but maybe it's not all about personal learning at that point, to be able to compensate for that by making sure that I'm reading papers and you know doing stuff like that on my own time really, really matters to my quality of life. And as I say, I just got into this period a few years ago where I just kind of convinced myself that it wasn't possible to do both, like I didn't have time. But that was completely false. I just convinced myself it was impossible. But as soon as I thought, well, why don't I just do it then? Just do it a little bit. You know, that just completely changed my mindset about it again. And I think quite often you convince yourself it's impossible to do things because you don't have time. And I think actually, if you just flip around and say, well, why don't I just try doing it a little bit then and see what happens, it sort of opens up a lot of opportunities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, completely agreed. But I guess I guess you need to have the strong motivation to have to want to do it, first of all. And then I, I guess it comes down to the same point, right? If you want to do something, you, you'll somehow find ways to just do it. <laughs> exactly. I think Cool, great, um, Richard. I I know you did not actually. It's we we have gone far beyond the time we had kept in mind, <laughs> and I realize. Sorry, <laughs> I said I talk loads. You'll have to do a big editing job on this one. No, no, no. I think I'm going to keep it all. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be like the, the James Joyce NBA podcast. With, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll just buy some extra hosting this time. <laughs> yeah, your, your, your Amazon bill's going up. <laughs> no, I'm, and that's why I'm not hosting on Amazon. <laughs> okay, fine.
um, fair enough. So, I mean, just the last few points I had. So, you know, going back specifically for the MBA, uh, you know, the, these are for listeners who possibly want to do MBA at some point of time. What tips do you have for those who are considering to do the MBA? Do you have some top career tips or top application tips? I guess um, do your do your research. I think find out from other people. I guess by listening to these types of podcasts, by talking to your friends, you know what what can you get out of an MBA? What have they got out of an MBA? Because I mean that sort of tells you what's 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 possible. You know, it tells you what what the menu of options is to some extent. I say so. So do your research. I think that's important. And then two, I think evaluate it very carefully in terms of what matters to you. Don't look at rankings because they evaluate it according to what matters to someone else, right? And the the the, the linear function that they've chosen to to weight those things by. But think about all the different options and then think about well, what is it that really matters to you? And think about that broadly, like not not just does it matter to my career? That maybe that's really important to you. Maybe that's all you care about. In which case, fine. But maybe you've got other motivations as well. Like maybe the actual experience of the course and the learning and the building relationships with the people like think about all these types of things that you might be able to get out of it and then try and evaluate the opportunities on the basis to you uh, sorry, on, on, on the basis of what what matters and what's most important to you and you, you may well find that what you come up with is a completely different answer from say a rankings table or you know what maybe someone that's on a traditional consulting career path might have told you or something else so i think just do your research but then keep a very broad mind and try and apply it to you and and don't be overly focused on things like you know what this will do to your career path unless that genuinely is your real motivation in which case great that makes perfect sense cool fair enough um how can people know more about you richard and how can they get in touch with you uh i, I guess linkedin is is a is one easy way of doing that um so i mean there's there's various groups uh, Cambridge Exec MBA groups and Cambridge Judge Business School groups and so on um, that, that, that I'm in. Um, you can find me very easily on LinkedIn. Um, send over a connection request, put a little note on it uh, saying that you heard the podcast or whatever and like chat and let's have a chat. Perfect. Great. Or, or they can possibly find you playing music at one of your um, music performances. <laughs> <laughs> I do play, play in a band in London from, from, from time to time. Uh, yeah, we have to see, uh, depending, depending on the availability. <laughs> might be difficult to predict a priori. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And the very last question is actually an open question. So, you know, is there something you wish I had asked you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I've, I've talked so much, regardless of what you asked me, I've said everything I can think of to say. <laughs> so I, I think we covered it. Um, pretty pretty well. I think one of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit was perhaps the exec MBA, which is and the differences perhaps between exec MBA and MBA. I mean, like, it's hard for me to call out the differences, but the fact that you've done an MBA and I've done an exec MBA, I think would be an interesting discussion. Um, again, not saying one's one's better than the other, but there certainly be some some differences and trade offs there. Um, I, th I think we did cover that though uh, throughout throughout the. Uh, the yeah, chat. yeah, that's that's a really good point because you know in the past also someone actually gave me a really good suggestion. Um, someone was like, not just the MBA, but you know some people do some professional masters courses, um, like like an MBA versus a chartered accountant, for example. I don't know if that's a parallel comparison, but an MBA versus a masters in um, you know. Uh, business science something like that so maybe I'm thinking in the future I can bring on maybe a couple of guests and we can just the whole show can be a whole episode can be about comparison or comparing notes between 
uh, related fields rather than completely different fields. So yeah, that's a really good point. Maybe a full-time MBA versus an exec MBA can be a really good topic. On the other hand, a European MBA versus a, an American MBA can be another good topic because even they are quite um, distinct in the way they approach their curriculum. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it would be great to get maybe a couple of different people on um, who've had those different experiences and have a, have a broad discussion about it. I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Richard, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks a lot for your time. I know you're still in the SESAM office at the moment and it's 8.30 p.m. Uh, I really appreciate you spending a lot of time for SESAM because of the podcast. <laughs> no problem. It's, it's, been, it's been great. So, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thank you, Richard. Take care. Thanks. Bye. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. If you did enjoy it, it would be highly appreciated if you can leave a 5-star review on iTunes or Android. As you know, I'm running this podcast because this is something I wish I had before my MBA. So any kind of support you can provide will be extremely helpful for me to understand if I'm on the right track. Of course, if you have any suggestions or feedback, please feel free to email me directly at avinash at thembajam.com. Thank you for listening to The MBA Jam. Now it's time for you to take action. Head over to thembajam.com to listen to more episodes and discover great resources.